You are listening to Perfect Learning with Clear Effect. Welcome to Perfect Learning, the podcast that celebrates the best of workplace learning and bravely imagines what it could be in a world unconstrained by budgets. I'm Tim Jordan, Director of Clear Effect Learning Solutions. Every episode, I'm joined by the glitterati of the learning and development world who generously share their experiences with us. After that, we put them to the test with a training challenge selected at random from the wheel of training challenge. This week, we are joined by Felicity Dobson, Learning Lead, Digital and Commercial at Orica. Thank you so much for being on the show, Felicity. Thank you so much for having me and calling me the glitterati. <laughs> I'm running out of adjectives. Like I was, um... <laughs> that one really resonates for me, though. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, good. I thought it was a special. I picked that for you. I'm, I'm very excited about talking to you today because when I was first thinking about doing this podcast, it was your real life experience that was the inspiration for the Wheel of Training Challenge. If I'd actually made up what you're going to run us through today, I would I wouldn't actually include it. In the wheel i would i would think yeah, it'd be un- yeah yeah it'd be unreasonable <laughs> and, and unrealistic um so very excited to walk through this before we make a run into the extraordinary and madcap world of that experience could you just give us a quick introduction to you and how you've gotten to where you are now absolutely so i fell into learning and dev quite by accident after finishing a multimedia degree and realizing that instead of making video games i wanted to make some money so <laughs> i sold my soul and i went corporate and mm. the best fit where i could be creative in a corporate workplace was learning and luckily i uh, got picked up by mining and I've had a pretty interesting career, always within the mining industry, but working across learning and development, org capability, sort of brushing the fringes of HR, and then deciding to go completely different and go Mm. and work in business strategy and planning and business improvement. So kind of getting in touch with my learners a little bit more. And I also did a stint in communications. So I think those three areas have been amazing to experience because you can now pull on all of that to work as a performance consultant, which I think really is the future of learning. It's interesting. Performance consultant. Yeah. That's where you're headed. Communication is huge in training. Like I think it's most of the underestimate. It's all very well to kind of like plan it and scaffold it, but you've got to communicate. It has to be really well done and considered. Sort of started increasingly thinking of – you know, like learning campaigns, more like advertising. You know, advertisers are doing the same thing. Absolutely. They're trying to change behavior. Like, so you, yeah. you just, they just got more money. <laughs> <laughs> Their stuff does always look a bit shinier, but part of what I try and do these days is learn from that and yes. make sure that everything I produce also looks really shiny and branded and really palatable. It was a bit of a, because I always, I was a structural designer for a long time and always undervalued the visual presentation. And it was that, mm-hmm. it was, I don't know what it was that suddenly tripped it. I think I was going through a course that looked fantastic. And I went, do you know what? That's important. The visuals are so, so important. important. And I am like... terribly shallow. So it's always been important to me. And <laughs> before I started working, I, I did have a bit of a side hustle doing graphic design. So I guess that was always a foundation. And other people had to really get on board with, with that idea with me. Um, so I guess I didn't give them the choice. <laughs> but it, but it's, it is, it's really true, isn't it? Yeah, and I've, I've worked with, it's interesting that some of the instructional designers I work with, the ones who are graphic designers, bring so much to it. Like, because there's that thing where, like, I would sit with, a, you know, a Word document and, like, put in, like, a billion words into a page and then wonder why people got annoyed 
like where the developers will come back and go, are you kidding me? Like that's massive. <laughs> so, whereas, yeah, I think if you, if you can picture it in your head, you can picture the whole thing and how it's going to work. It's, it's massively different experience. And it doesn't cloud your message. People don't have to learn how to understand what you're trying to say. They can just take it in. It's intuitive yeah. if it looks nice. It is. It is, isn't it? Yeah. That's very interesting insight. All right. <laughs> Enough prevarication. It is time to take us on the epic journey that is your training adventure. So if you could take us back, back in time to that first moment where you said you want what? <laughs> Uh, so I had recently joined a new company and they had done a bit of a deep dive to see where their training inefficiencies were. And probably the, the lowest hanging fruit was in training operators. So we have particular trucks that we need people to drive that are a bit like a cement mixer and make explosives and then inject that into the ground. So it's quite complicated to learn how to use them. And slightly terrifying. And we, Slightly terrifying, a little bit yeah. high risk, <laughs> but well managed. Yeah. Lots and lots of rules and regs, as you would understand. So it's not just mm -hmm. learning how to drive the thing or how to mix the explosives. It's also learning how to do it all within the, the guidelines of the customer and the law. Yes, absolutely. So we, we hire people who are mechanically minded, but generally don't have any experience. So funeral directors, school teachers, stay-at-home parents. So they're really coming with baseline of zero and mm -hmm. we would historically take these people in we would put them in a classroom for a week because that's all mm -hmm. we could really get them for nobody knew mm -hmm. where they were going next or what truck they were going to be getting or which site they were at and we would just sit there and, and bore them to death with millions of powerpoints with no pictures with a very experienced but quite old school not even a facilitator, a definite trainer who would sit there and read slides at them for a week. Mm. And it was awfully muddled and really hard to follow. And there was an awful lot of duplication because people had changed little bits over time and never yeah. looked at the bigger picture. Mm. And so it was a bundle of topics with no real story. And then we would throw these people out to sight and they would get paired up with an experienced operator. And mm. we would then touch base maybe once every couple of months to do assessments mm -hmm. uh, and it would only be this one trainer who could do these assessments mm -hmm. and then after however long they would then be deemed competent and then we could start charging for them and historically it was oh, taking right. more than a year to to get that whole process done and the results really wildly varied depending yeah, yeah. on the experience that this person was getting and some really silly bottlenecks like access to time in trucks or whether it was raining or not or what the customer wanted and how long mm. we could afford to spend on development. But there was mm. no transparency of any of this. Wow. So I came in and I just was horrified by this and sat through it and said, as a user or as a learner, this is like, it's awful. I'm so mm. bored and I'm really yeah. confused. So yeah. I... I got my team together and we really flipped it. So we said, we'll throw out all of this. We know mm -hmm. what we need them to, to come out of here with. Um, mm -hmm. We know what the rules are. We know what people want them to know, but we're not just going to tell them that. Let's look at the user experience. Mm -hmm. So let's put this learner right at the center of everything. Let's mm -hmm. 
build an anchor point that we can tie everything back to to help make this a cohesive story that's logical. Mm. And so we, we designed a program that was aligned to the day in the life of this operator. Mm. And we, we kind of have three, three components, I suppose. There's, mm. We looked at that, that week of PowerPoint slides and we pulled mm. out as much as we possibly could. We put it into pre-work, which was really well designed for a change. Yep. We then made the, the week itself as experiential as possible. Yeah. which was a real leap for some of our trainers because they weren't mm. experienced facilitators. And then we had a really decent structured and consistent standard program for that on-the-job component with the aim of um, taking something that would take 12 to 15 months previously mm. and achieving that within 12 weeks to a higher oh. standard yeah. and to and including a lot more content so we didn't want people who were just going to be button pushers at the end of mm. this we actually wanted them to be able to critically think assess things and troubleshoot make recommendations yeah, yeah. and really be invested in what they were doing so there was the the learning design piece but there was also a real like business engagement piece to this as well because people didn't mm. think they could do it they were not keen that we could mm mess with this formula I suppose because it had been our flagship for donkey's years uh, um, yeah. and because it's such a risky environment that we're putting people into and that it's yes. so heavily regulated we really had to dot all the i's and cross all of the t's so there was an awful was... mapping and stuff that had to happen yeah 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 so you had like and not only was it really complex and difficult you had a pushback as well like and, and yeah. understandable pushback like you could sort Absolutely. of see why someone would be resistant yeah and once once we were able to paint the picture and demonstrate that we could do some of these things, people were then incredibly supportive. Mm. Orica is an, a nice place like that, but we, we really had to work for it. So mm. we we made the the day in the life the theme for our program. Mm. So every day of the week of induction that we had represented a block of 30 minutes to an hour within a day. So everything was chronological. People knew exactly what they were learning and why, and at which point oh, they would then go and apply this. That's so and cool. And then when we looked at the on-job components of this, we again used that same, same methodology or a way of ordering people's thinking to say, mm. this is the task that comes next. Therefore, mm. this is why you're learning it together. Mm. And while we were doing that, we were looking for sort of logical ways that we could chunk some of these learning activities so that it did make sense to the user, but so that it could also become more efficient. So mm. previously, you had to finish everything and prove in triplicate that you could do it and be assessed mm. in 50 million things along the way before yeah. you could actually do anything and mm -hmm. be chargeable. The way that we flipped it was to say, what are the those natural breakpoints where you can do a certain number of things and you've got mm. some skills that you can do a few things unaccompanied. We could sign you off to just do a part of your role and actually mm. start adding a bit of value. So that that really helped us to to get some yes. of that buy-in from Absolutely. our leaders. Yes. But yeah, we, we sort of looked at like what are the levels involved in this role? So what is a basic bench assistant and what can they do could we get mm. somebody just driving the truck from place to place even if they can't manufacture with the truck mm. and 
we put it all onto a schedule so people could see where everyone was up to and they could identify those silly bottlenecks that were nothing to do with training and efficiency, but mm. were stopping people from getting where they needed to go. Mm. And we also kind of pulled back the curtain a little bit. So previously the trainers ran everything. They had your program. They knew when you had to be assessed, they'd fly to site, they'd make sure it happened. And you were just sort of at the mercy of what people told you to do next. Whereas mm. now we get it to be learner driven. So we document everything. We created a really lovely logbook that's really easy to use. Mm. And it's very clear to the learner what needs to happen next. So they can mm. really drive going to the person they need to learn from saying, hey, I'd really like to learn this today. Here's some resources that you can use to guide you. Please yeah, mentor yeah. me. I think I'm ready to do this next bit. And while they were doing that, they could also update a um, just an Excel tracker to say, this is where I'm up to and this is my prospective end date. So mm. site managers really liked that because they could say, mm. right, in five weeks, I'm going to have somebody I can deploy here. Absolutely. And then the major exciting piece that people loved about this was that onboarding week. Whilst we'd pulled out as much as we could into pre-work, boring theory, like learning about the company sort of thing mm. and really decent post-work theory like at the coalface when you're about to use it you learn it in a like a bite-sized piece mm. and that left us with room in that week to say what is it actually like out there what does it feel like like not not all of the topics that you need to know or the tasks that you have to do what is what is this whole experience of being this operator Mm. And we made it as experiential as possible. So we brought in some virtual reality, which was super exciting. Yeah. Um, and that was that was a bit of a boon because I don't think normally we would have budgets to do that sort of thing. But mm. we swung it this time and it went down so well. So people could actually see what a bench was like because it's a it's a very different world for somebody who'd never been to a blast site to kind of yeah, picture yeah. what we're talking about when they'd never even seen the environment mm. and they got a chance to drive a truck and it feels a little bit like need for speed but slow yeah. well, and, really, uh, <laughs> really slow and then a lot of what they need to do is learning procedures with like valve path paths and turning things on in the right order of things and that's the sort of thing that you just get with practice so you need that muscle memory and doing it in yep. vr gave them the chance to do that and and really experience like what does it feel like being high up on top of a truck and you know where where would i go to find the emergency stop before they'd ever even been to site which yeah. was was really really excellent and then we we brought in scenario-based activities, some practical exercises, like we actually do a bit of a science experiment in there, a bit like your old school making a volcano, just to show why segregation of chemicals is important. Do you, do you and, literally um, mix them up? We literally mix them up. Do they, do they, do they blow up or do they do they smoke? Well, no, we use we use uh, baking soda and lemon juice, but ah, um, okay. people get yeah. the idea. And it's not it's not positioned as a science experiment. It's just yeah. a, hey, can you please just tidy this rubbish off the desk? Just chuck it in the bin to demonstrate why you can't just do that at site. You need to think about what you're doing. You need to make sure you've checked if there's any safety procedures oh. around what you're doing because that bin might have chemicals in it. So they, so they don't know it's going to, like, am I giving away a trade secret? They don't know it's going to happen. Oh, yeah. So 
I think what we were trying to do was really really make it as real as possible because you don't get prepped for what life is about to throw at you very often. Mm. And we wanted to create some dissonance in people mm. because we didn't want it to feel like they're in a training course. So I think I think we managed to do that. And when we when we created it, like I mentioned earlier, we created a branded slick package. So mm. all of the documentation was there. There were all of these supporting resources. We launched it with a leader support pack, how to talk about this with your, your teams. What mm. can you expect from us? What's it going to feel different like? So mm. I think all of that really helped in, in making this stick. It is yeah. still early days, so we are still looking to, to quantify our results and say, yes, we did actually get it into to 12 weeks. But mm. the the anecdotal feedback that we've had so far is that it's just such an amazing change. People enjoy delivering it more. People enjoy going through it a lot more. It's um, I mean, and it's chalk and cheese from what you had before. I could have to, yeah, it's absolutely. So this, much. One, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this one even has pictures. <laughs> 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 it's interesting what you're saying about the dissonance because that's uh, another episode I had with someone though. So she was saying that she wants people to actually feel challenged in the training experience, a bit uncomfortable because that's yes. ultimately what you need for growth. You actually need that to kind of push out of your comfort zone. And that's interesting to hear that you said that as well. So, exactly. Yeah. So putting people on top of a truck in VR is mm. just so much more effective i think at challenging what it's what it's actually going to be like than trying to mm. describe it with a bunch of words on a slide yeah, yeah and you can see straight away why it's really important that you follow your safety procedures because yes. you can fall off the side and you can experience what that weird vertigo feels like yeah so because ult and ultimately you're gonna you know you're gonna end up having to do this stuff you're gonna end up feeling uncomfortable Absolutely. so like, if you get a little bit of discomfort early you're like perhaps you know, actually i need this information yeah, it's all about why do I need to know this and creating yeah. the value for the learner. Yeah, yeah, cool. And as much as that was really good to hear about, that wasn't the original challenge I was talking about. Which, and we get, I think we get to that, don't we? Do we we do. So we finished this lovely big project in Australia where we are very mature in our business and yep. we have trainers and, and, you know, everybody knew that this would work here. Mm -hmm. And through to us winning a new contract in Mongolia for a really big customer with like hardly any turnaround time. People always bring learning in a little bit late in the game and yes, that happens constantly. time. Yes. So we had we had no no real time. We had no budget. They just said, we'll just do what we always do. But we, never, we haven't been in this region for years, so we don't always do anything. Yes. And we had a couple of months to go from a mothballed operation with an accountant, I think, and a chemist working in the city to mm. needing to have a full crew of underground charge operators ready to go on day one of the contract kicking in and a whole bunch of transfers. So the incumbent contract holder was going to give us some of the workforce. So yes, they understood the customer and the environment, but they didn't mm. know how to work our trucks or how Orica operates. So mm. we had two or three even quite different use cases with no time and no budget yes. in the middle of Mongolia in the dead of winter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was so like literacy and sorry, I don't want to get, yeah. Yes. So we had 
a, a cohort of nomadic goat herders who <laughs> didn't have bank accounts to get paid. They didn't have passports oh. to travel anywhere. They they had no literacy or numeracy because they hadn't needed it. They just yeah. camp all around the steppe and, and look after their flocks. Yeah. And they were coming coming into these remote locations to do something different and we needed mm. to, to work for them. We also yeah. had a couple of people who had previously worked for us years and years ago um, on the surface in a mm. plant doing very different work. Um, yeah. And it had been a little while between drinks, so they needed a bit of a refresher. But mm. it's very different working underground like it's really hard to describe until you experience it but mm. incredibly confronting very uncomfortable and Do you mean uncomfortable yes. like is it actually like narrow spaces that people are working in <laughs> it's it can be physically uncomfortable so generally when we're involved it's not too narrow but it's dark mm. it's hot it's wet you've mm. got to have lots and lots of ppe on you've got to have mm. uh, what they call self-rescuers so like this big metal box on your belt for if you if you need help to breathe because there's a, a cave-in or a gas leak or oh God. it's quite scary so yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it sounds we it. find we find that even in Australia, when we hire people into underground um, environments, we have quite quick turnover because yeah. people just aren't expecting how harsh the environment's going to be. Wow. So we had that to contend with. We had no skilled experts or mentors that we could rely mm. on. It was very hard to bring in expats because they've got some excellent government regulation of that over there for very good reasons, but it does make it quite hard to to kind of get started. Plus, not a lot of people actually want to go to the wilds of Mongolia um, <laughs> from places like Australia when you've got very long swings as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had pretty pretty unique problem to solve, but we'd recently had this success in Australia where we just laid everything out. It was really modular. You could bolt bits on and off. You could mm. see exactly what somebody needed and you could get mm. a learner to drive it. Mm. And we had to adapt it because there is still quite a lot of reading involved um, mm. and we, we couldn't rely on that. And it was all in English. Yes. So we did we did the basics. We translated all of the media. So things like the web-based training, we were able to just use as they were. Yep. And then for our first cohort, we needed some trainers to train because mm. our program relies very heavily on skilled mentors taking trainees through just what you do day to day mm. and, and teaching them to drive the trucks. But we didn't have any of those. Yeah. So, and we had no access to the underground or to the equipment until uh, day one of the contract either when they had to be already trained. So God. it was a bit of a vicious circle. Yeah, we yeah. found this fantastic vendor in the Philippines who had converted an old World Expo site into <laughs> a training center. And so they had all of this space and all these weird facilities. And one of the things that they had set up was this simulated underground tunnel. And I was really dubious until I walked in there myself. But you walk into the, it looks like a airplane hangar. You walk in there, they shut yeah. the door and it's pitch black and it smells right. Like it feels like underground. Wow. And they've got all of the, the rock faces in there. They've got all of the uh, mesh and bolts and funny bits of steel and ventilation hanging around. Mm. It's so real. It's crazy. And I don't know how they got it so dark in there. But we had access to this tunnel. We yeah. had access to a camp 
or what looked like a camp and yeah. they were willing to let us take um, a bunch of our returned employees take them to the Philippines for 12 days we did in yeah. the end and let them live as if they were living on site so it was roster hours they had meals together in the mess they had to wear PPE all day every day mm. and we had a classroom right next to this simulated tunnel so we were able to teach a little bit of theory and we did it it was all verbally with a lot of pictures because there was that literacy gap. We had a translator, so we had a facilitator teaching in English, and then mm. we had a, a translator who was an operator himself. He he wasn't um, a trained translator, but he knew the material and he knew the crew. Yeah. And I think that was probably better than getting a pro. Yeah, because then there's, so, there's a degree of like knowing what's intended. Um, yeah, exactly. So he it, could so look at can... the picture and, and know <clears throat> what the facilitator was trying to say and, and translate that in slang and, and real words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were able to jump between the classroom and the tunnel lots of times every day, which was mm. brilliant for, yeah, again, yeah. creating that dissonance and then going back into the classroom and saying, right, what did we just experience? Let's yeah. break that down. Let's learn about why we experienced that. Let's learn about how we manage and mitigate that. Mm. And we were able to do all of our onboarding plus a good chunk of our practical training at that site in the Philippines before we flew everybody back to Mongolia and mm -hmm. um, we got a we got our hands on an old pump um, that normally would have been decommissioned, but mm -hmm. we we set it up to run on water, and everybody was able to have a lot of practice time on the surface. So mm -hmm. they kind of learned about underground, then they learned about the equipment, and on day one, all they had to do was put them together when they got underground. Wow. And That's it amazing. actually worked. It was it was. Yeah, unprecedented. Uh, we we did so a lot of good. stuff in the background as well. Like it sounds logical, but we mapped the customer training to our own training, and we just mm. gave recognition for having already done that. So oh, it's it yeah. seems silly, but quite often we double up on training because we know that you learned it here, but it has to be the the Orica way as well, just so yeah, that we yeah, know yeah. that you're at a standard. Yeah. And I, I stopped and I said, look, let's just take the time to see what the standard is. And actually, it's very good. <laughs> so yeah, let's just yeah. give them credit for that and move yeah. on. So that freed up a little bit of time as well and was able, it let us accelerate this program. And once we had spent that intensive time with our returned learners offsite, we had a really good group of champions and future uh, yes, trainers in yes, that yes. group. So the next chunk of the challenge was we had all of these transfers from the incumbent. So mm -hmm. they knew the environment and kind of knew the methodology, but they didn't mm. know how to do it our way. We were able to flip upside down the the Australian method where we would do lots and lots of infield mentoring. We would sort of do pit stop verifications along the way. And then we would do a competency observation at the end rather than mm. assessments. We flipped it and we said, here is a two-day deep dive into what it means to wear the Orica shirt and all of our procedures. Let's play with this pump on the surface so you can experience our equipment. And now let's actually take you straight underground and we'll do a competency observation to start with. And then mm. we will fill in the gaps and mentor by exception um, mm. using that new skilled crew of champions that we yeah. brought in. 
And it was excellent because people are, a lot of them were very smart. And mm. there was some assumed knowledge that we probably needed to cater for that they didn't have, um, mm -hmm. which we wouldn't ordinarily have known about if we hadn't tested up front. Mm. And there was a huge amount of existing knowledge that we were able to leverage. And it was also really good timing because in doing that, we could create the new way of working, I guess, for that site. So here's some existing knowledge that they bring from their experience doing things differently. Mm. How do we actually incorporate that into a really solid procedure for the way we're yeah. going to do stuff now? Because there so will be things nice. that were specific to that site, wouldn't there? I mean, there were things that you can't yeah. just come in and like, it, this is the way. It's like, this is our way, but also we, you know, we have to acknowledge the physical environment we're working in here. Yeah, and there's some hard constraints like that and customer needs and, and regulations. But then there's also just sort of best practice that evolves over time. The whole process is about adapting. And previously, our training approach had been very compliance driven and it just didn't allow for, for that sort of adaptation or agility. Mm. Whereas flipping it and focusing on competency, we opened up the doors to a whole bunch of really good business improvement opportunity at the same time. Wow. Plus we were able to go, okay, what's in your bucket already? And let's just top up with the little bits of knowledge that you actually need instead of forcing yeah. it all down your throat again. Yeah, yeah. And we did the same with refresher training. So rather than everything expiring a year or two years later, we said, mm. let's just say every five years, we're going to look at you end to end and see if you're doing your job really well and then give you coaching and feedback if there are areas for improvement and obviously if you were doing something incorrect or unsafe we would stop and retrain and it's it's risk-based as well so it's every five years as if everything is hunky-dory and you're routinely doing this as your day job but mm -hmm. if you have had a big gap obviously you'd flag yeah. for an assessment earlier or if there'd yeah. been an incident but it's just that slightly different more user focused way of looking at things that actually gave us heaps of of return on that investment so it did make things faster it let us cover more ground i think it made things a lot safer although we're still waiting on that data to come back yeah yeah and uh yeah i, th I think sometimes it's those constraints that that, that really bring out the innovation or, or the, yeah. you know, you can get them to, like, <laughs> what do we actually need to achieve here? Like, let's get yes, them to brass tacks. Throw it out sometimes and just go, yeah. right, what are we trying to do? Yeah, Who are we yeah. looking at? Put the two together and see what happens. And um, yeah, absolutely. You forge diamonds under pressure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, because, you know, all the regulations and the laws, I mean, they're, they're there for good reasons. And, yeah. you know, it's, and, you know, it makes sense. And you, you but like, as long as you're kind of working within the spirit, of, of those requirements rather than necessarily, you know, you had an opportunity. Actually, I'm, 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 I'm kind of suggesting you break the laws. You didn't break the laws. What you did was like, <laughs> I took a different approach to training, which was like, you know, competency outcome focused and, and, and met and exceeded all of the legal requirements associated with that. <laughs> yeah. Even like in Australia, we're a registered training organization. So there is yeah. a huge amount of stuff oh, that comes yeah, with, with that. Mm. And there's, reams and reams of documentation that that tell us how to do everything right down to designing training and assessments yeah and a lot of people historically have taken that as as rote and mm. just 
followed it like a recipe, which is not what it is. It's a it's a standard and a set of regulations, essentially. Whereas mm. what I've been encouraging all of my guys to do is go, okay, this is the this is the limits. Now, mm. knowing that it's not a recipe, we don't follow that. How do we take a really good idea and just make sure that it fits within those limits? Mm. And that then satisfies the rules that we need to keep our registration or mm. to not break the law in Mongolia, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. but still create something that feels really different and, and doesn't produce like tens of thousands of PowerPoints with no pictures. Because ultimately, like, the, you know, those requirements were put, they weren't put in place to make everything awful, even though that's sometimes what no. happens. Um, no. They were there to kind of go give structure, but they're, you know, very much a guide. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Oh, wow. So you that's... still have to do a little bit of work in, in and around those. They're not a recipe. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and ultimately meeting those requirements doesn't mean, you know, you, know, you don't have to like. You have quality learning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't have to kind of um, desperately hang to everything they say and then just kind of just, you know, that's the minimum. Yeah, do something around that. Yeah. And there are different ways to skin the cat as well. So you could follow the guidelines and produce like here is 10 pages of stuff that you need to know as a learner or you mm. could put together a two-minute video or you yeah, could yeah. have a Q&A session at the beginning. Like there are loads of different modalities for achieving what the guidelines are intending. And, and and a really like a big mix of all of those things is a, you know, probably what well, my experience the best like you know because then you're actually catering for different learning styles like finding different ways of engaging with people the way they know how to learn the way they know how to experience things it's it, it really helps mm, so much and we've got so many different users that we have to cater to oh, um, it's it's really handy to to know the limits that you have to work within and what's in your arsenal but then be able to kind of pick and choose a little bit yeah. and we we often need to work really agile and it's a real like 80 20 near enough is good enough approach so mm. having a clear understanding of like that is your foundation but then being able to go beyond that I guess means mm. that you can come out with some pretty neat stuff really quickly and really cheaply. Brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing that. That was really good. And I, I was I, know I was on the fringes of that experience and I <laughs> had no idea how much was going on. So that was very interesting insight. I've, I've often wondered. But now it's time to put you to the test and spin the wheel. So I've, I've got it down because I, I did originally have software challenge in here, but that's like your bread and butter. So I've pulled that out because that would be too easy. <laughs> Don't so, make it too easy on me. No, of course not. Yeah. And so I've got I've got a culture issue. I've got underperformance. I've got leadership failures, and I've got world ending that we're picking from today. And I do literally have a wheel, and I am literally spinning it. So I'm going to click on it. Well, I have a literal like virtual wheel. So I'm going to click <laughs> the virtual wheel. There are two in particular I'm hedging for. Goodness. Oh, do you know what? It just tipped over from leadership failure to world ending. I'm so pleased. <laughs> like you have no idea how close oh that was. It just okay. like, it's literally a line <laughs> call. All right. I will scroll to, here we go. The world ending. The do you know what? You still were placed for this. Having just thought what you've run through, like you're going to smash this. But anyway, 
So, and you do have, I, I've instituted a rule, you do have one right of veto in the event that for whatever reason, this person might, might get you into trouble. So, but I don't okay. think it will. Uh, in this totally hypothetical training challenge I've come up with, the atmosphere has become contaminated with a lethal bacteria that threatens to wipe out all life on Earth. A cure has been found to fight off the bacteria in the atmosphere, but it requires a very rare mineral that can only be recovered using a very, very specific technique using hardware and software developed by Orica. <laughs> there are currently only two people who know how to complete the process, and they are both not training people. So I'm thinking they're spectrum people. You have a week to train up a team of 60 people to have them operational and save the world. Oh, no pressure. No pressure <laughs> at all. So what do you do? The clock's ticking, please. Oh, okay. So immediately I am thinking I need to get these SMEs in their natural habitat doing yep. what they do, and I need to try and bottle that somehow. Yes. Yep. So things like little videos, which I would then edit up, although, you know, time is time is ticking. It's going to have to be very agile to edit some really short, sharp um, vignettes of them doing their thing. And the, and, and the cameras, I think the cameras are on them like pretty much all the time, like from this Perfect. moment forward, aren't they? And they're constantly talking. So we've, we've got them. All angles. We've got keen editors yep. who can smash stuff out really quickly. Great. Yep. Okay. So Perfect. getting them to describe their process as they're doing it and capturing yep. it from their point of view. I think I would also spend some time talking to the people either sides of these SMEs yep. sort of in the, the process flow. Mm -hmm. So who is going to approach these guys and say we need something, um, mm -hmm. getting heaps and heaps of context about what it is they're trying to get. Mm -hmm. And then I would talk to the people that are then going to take that mineral and create the cure so that I know mm. what they're trying to achieve. Because context is king and I work with a lot of engineers who are very in the weeds mm. doing what they do and they're not amazing at explaining why they're doing yes. what the bigger picture is. Yes. So I find as a non-technical person, I really need that, that bigger picture. So mm. harvesting as much context as I can and then painting that for my, my 60 other people. And I think I, I work really well when stuff is just logically ordered and it's chronological. So I would actually do the process flow map, which is a business mm. improvement activity, but great for learning. So mm. watch what are the tasks involved in doing this, uh, mm. what are the dependencies and who's doing what. So I can kind mm. of visualize on a page what's, what's going on here. Yep. And from there, I kind of hang all of this context and all of these learning aids within that flow. So what have we got? We've got some videos, we've got a Here's process, we've got yep. context and commentary about why. Yep. I think I'd also do a little bit of interviewing of these SMEs about what they're doing. Sometimes it hasn't gone very well, pitfalls to avoid, like tips mm -hmm. and tricks type of stuff outside yep. of them actually doing the task. And then I would set up a sand pit. So I would get the hardware and I'd get the software going in a safe environment for people to be able to play with. So I would then kick off, I don't know if I can do 60 people at a time, but a couple of sessions to kind of set 
the context to paint the picture. This is what we're going to do. This is why the urgency. This is why you've been asked to get involved. This and there's no there's no budget constraints as well. So we could we could have two or Amazing. three of these amps if you like. Like it can be in the Bahamas as well. <laughs> it, it can, but you'd lose precious time getting there. Travel time. Oh, have we not got teleporters? Okay. Um, oh, so... within the realms of physics, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so getting everybody, I guess, onboarded with with the the need um, yes. and why the urgency. I think then it would be really sensible to have some some practical workshops where yeah. we have a scenario and we get people to try doing that. So using mm -hmm. the software, using the hardware. And we would have some in-app support for that. So um, for our software, we can have tooltips, we can have wizards, that sort of thing. We'd build that in. When it comes to doing the practical components, I would love to have some AR. It's not there yet, but hopefully in this scenario, it is. It is. Where it we is. Can it's actually, there. We can, we can real-time visualise uh, consequence. So um, maybe this is really hard to extract. Maybe it's very fragile. So you can put on your glasses and you can see, right, if I pinch it at this angle or if I pull that lever, this is what's going to go wrong. Like my angle is slightly out, the thing will break. And I can I can have 3D visualisation of, of what will happen. Or I could have my procedure up, which I could be following along as I'm yep. doing my task, and I would have a direct line to those SMEs. So yes. hopefully I'd yes. be able to co-opt a couple of extra people who are not SMEs but could do that sort of level one support so they can filter out some of the silly questions and and leave the meaty stuff to my SMEs. But 100% phone a friend is, is going to be super useful here. And using, using that technology, we can get them looking at what you're looking at as well. So they can say, actually, no, I can see you've got to go in like a little bit deeper here. So nice. I think we're day four now. Are we day four? <gasps> okay, we're getting close. So everybody's had a try. Everybody knows yeah. what they're doing. I think then it's probably worth getting some people doing it for real. So working alongside an SME each. Um, yep. And couple of practice goes and then whilst we are waiting as people have had their practice go they can bring it back and kind of work with the guys in the sandpit to keep getting that muscle memory going mm, cycling through till we've got all 60 people successfully extracted something um, and then I think it's probably worth doing a bit of a closeout session as well to say is there a way that we can do this better once the, the world isn't ending. Uh, once you're all vaccinated and your families are all okay, how yeah, yeah. can we do this more effectively for the rest of the world? Yeah. Oh, no, and, so, and, um, and I should, yeah, because it's, it's not like, the, no, I should have been clearer. I, th I think what, what you're creating is actually going to stop it in its tracks in the atmosphere. Like you've got this thing nailed up ah, there. Okay, right. So this is right. terrible. So it's not a rollout. It's like, do it now. Or like, like get the stuff and get it into the atmosphere. <laughs> And we're all good. And I think you've done it with like a day to spare. I'm Maybe. deeply, deeply impressed. Me. <laughs> <laughs> all down to technology, but remembering that technology is there for users and to keep users front of mind. Yes. You don't want stuff that's really hard to use or really technical and without context. Yes. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're people and we need context. Absolutely. Yeah, you need the stories to go with it. You need to know why mm. and, and where. Mm. 
No, because yeah. you've crushed that so quickly and saved the world. <laughs> this is just like uh, one of the things we've been kind of getting into in the tail end of these is just if there was sort of like taking that same vision of of training and unconstrained, and if we if we could just do whatever we want to do for training to get the outcomes, what would be the thing that you'd sort of try and bring into the training experiences that you'd deliver? Like, what what do you think would make the biggest difference? To bring it forward do you know i think it's not sexy at all it is it's getting the foundations right so taking the time to figure out what we're trying to do and mm. what performance support is so one of the projects i'm working on at the moment we're not actually creating any training material we're mm. creating an architecture of resources and they're things that already exist. It's just tying them together and, and putting them in a logical order so mm. that people can actually do their jobs and access stuff when they need it. And it's often overlooked because it's drudgery. <laughs> it takes ages, but yeah. it can make or break anything if you get your foundation of, of performance support right. And then obviously like getting AR to a point where it can yeah. provide like just in time, like real life in-app support. I think yeah. that is going to be an absolute game changer and I would love to, to use that more. It can do some stuff. We've mm. played with it a little bit, but it can't do what I want it to do yet. Yeah, okay. Well, they've got to work on that. they got that sorted out. But yeah. yeah. But awesome. essentially it's just accessing what you need at the point that you need it. Yeah, yeah. And and do you think that's because it's interesting? There's been a whole kind of trend or drift, not drift, but a, a movement towards micro learning, which I think is good and sensible and also warranted in in the way that sort of like learning, particularly e learning, was used for a long time. Like here's like seven hours of e learning. Just come back to me when you're done. Um, so it's a totally reasonable and 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 much better response to that. But I, I think I find and hearing you talk about architecture. I think I find the thing that has sometimes gotten lost with that is that while a five, you know, a, a thirty-second piece is great, if I'm on my banking app on my phone, and I need to do a thing. If I want to learn how to effectively interview, if I want to learn how to manage people, if I want to learn how to save the world, or use a, a, a bomb truck, I need kind of a structure to that because I can't micro learn my way through that and pick my way through. So that architecture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need so, to have visibility of what you're trying to do and where mm, you're at in that process, I think. Mm, so, great, I know how to press this widget now, but why did I just learn that? And why didn't I yeah, do yeah. that like, yesterday or next week instead? And what does it do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what's the downstream effect of this? Yeah, yeah. important. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you so much for coming out. This is as much fun as I'd hoped it was going to be and even more. Yeah. Me too, actually. <laughs> Excellent.